Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible Together, a podcast where we go through the book of the Bible book by book in a way that is deep and also easy to understand. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with us over the next couple months, uh, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Uh, and this week, just so you know, is a special episode of our Q&A podcast. Uh, after Ooh. after this one, it's done. We have, oh no, sorry, we have one more, then it's finished, um, which is kind of sad because these are fun episodes where we get to take some of the questions that you've sent in uh, over the last month and we get to spend time asking or answering those questions for us. Um, you can send in questions if you'd like to, uh, to info at grove.church or even to our Facebook page. You can direct message us uh, and just say, hey, Aaron, you're better looking than Aaron, Evan, and I have some questions about the Bible How dare you? and we'll spend time answering those questions. So, um, one other quick side note to you as well, uh, as uh, if you listen to our most recent podcast, uh, Working Through the Plans, Evan uh, was sick. He is still kind of sick, so you're going to hear probably his voice a little bit less than normal, uh, so you get to hear more of my beautiful voice uh, and be thankful for it. So The dulcet uh, tones of Aaron Den. Yes, absolutely. So that's actually the title of last week's podcast. So, <laughs> um, so we're just going to jump right in. There's some questions that we're going to ask. Uh, and spend a few moments answering as well. Uh, I guess we're going to read the questions that have been asked. That's a better way to say it. So uh, question number one, here it is. It says, hi, Aaron and Evan. And then in parentheses is that better question mark with an eye roll emoji and a laughy emoji. Uh, and I'm just going to stop right there and say, yes, that is much better. Thank you for including me in the podcast questions. I appreciate that. So uh, here's the question. Throughout this series, you referred uh, to good and bad kings of Israel and Judah. Given that during the exile, there were technically kings, uh, where would you the likes of Nebuchadnezzar and Darius or even Ashurus and for Esther rank? Um, and so here's the list of the kings for you real quick that would, in, that would fall into this exile period. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, Ashurus, which is Esther, or Artaxerxes, which is Nehemiah. Uh, those are the eras that they were in. Uh, and so Evan, where would you, where would you put them in the likes of? Yeah, I thought this was a really... Like it's it's an interesting question because I've I've definitely never thought of that. Yeah, before. it's a profound question. It makes me think so, a little bit. Uh, I would just say they're all bad. Yeah, just to be clear. Uh, well, these are so these are all kings mentioned in the Bible. So there were more kings during the period of the exile because obviously the exile yes. went on a very long time. And these these are kings outside of God's people, right? Uh, during exile, so these are kings that were over God's people because they were exiled into their correct kingdoms. So I guess we'll just let's just go through and hit them one by yeah, one. Nebuchadnezzar, so I would. I would view him as like, um, he's def so none of these kings I would say are like, if we go through the categories that we put the kings in of Israel and Judah in, none of them are great kings. So none of these guys like Hezekiah's, Josiah's, David's. Yeah, absolutely. Them. So Nebuchadnezzar, I would put in that middle group where, um, he clearly has a fear of God. Um, and then he kind of backslides into it and then he comes back to it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of like the qualifier though, too, right? It's right. when we talk about a good king or a great king, we're talking about obedience, we're talking about submission to God as a supreme authority, uh, following God, like their lives. And so none of these kings will be great kings because right. they, they have not, they don't, that we know of, they don't have faith in, in God, they, they have faith in God's. Um, and they follow other gods, but yeah, they view the Jewish God as one of the gods. Yes. Um, but yeah, so Nebuchadnezzar, um, you could call him a bad king. You can call him a good thing. He, I mean, he does like throw Jews into the fire for not worshiping a statue of him, which is kind of it's true. Classic, bad, of classic bad king move. Um, 
but also like after that whole thing happens, he's like, oh, well, this God guy is for real. And then he that's, like, that's, we're all going to worship the God of the Israelites. <laughs> and he backslides again and like turns into a beast for a little bit. And then that's oh, a whole big thing. And then he repents and surrenders and say, hey, God's the most sovereign of all gods. And yeah. there's humility there. So I would so. say he's, he's straddling the fence between bad and decent king. Yes. Is kind of where I'd put him. All right. Next one. Belshazzar. Uh, bad king. Darius. Darius, I would put. He's probably as close to a good king as we get. Um, okay. I'm trying to think because he, even the lion's den thing, he's kind of tricked into that. Like it's mm-hmm. not necessarily an active hatred yeah. of the. I mean, Jewish he had a, he had a deep love and admiration for for, for Daniel. Daniel, right? I mean, deep love. Um, um, his. I mean, he was devastated when he got tricked into making this law. And Daniel is now going to read the punishments of that law. Right. So, so yeah, I would, I would say he's he's close to a good king. We'll say he's a good king. Yeah. As good as he can be. Relatively king. good king. Yes. There you go. Uh, Asuras. Ahasuerus. I don't know. I still don't know how to pronounce that. Guy. I'm just going to say Asuerus. All right. Uh, this is with Esther. I mean, I would kind of put him, he's better than Nebuchadnezzar, but I mean, he does like, send his wife away. It's kind of inferred that he kills listen, her. I listen. don't know. <laughs> But she like, did not perform. Yeah, that's kind of he demanded. Real scumbag just, move. Yes, total there. scumbag and move. And then, like, I don't know. But on the other hand, like, he clearly doesn't have like a hatred of the Jews. And when he finds out, like, that's what's going on, he's like, "Wait a second, Haman, you're a real jerk." Yeah. But yeah, I would say he's he's also straddling the line between bad and decent king. Yeah, is kind of where I'd put him. And then finally, Artaxerxes. Artix- I would Xerxes. say he's a good king. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember very much about him other than he lets Nehemiah go back and build the wall. Well, and and supplies him, supplies Nehemiah. Like he gives, there's a lot of favor Nehemiah has yeah. for Artaxerxes. Yeah, he's a from king. Artaxerxes. He's a so. relatively good king. Yeah, I would put him and Darius in the same boat. So there you go. Their All boat's right. not sinking nearly as bad. So to, to recap, we have Artaxerxes and Darius. Darius are, we'll say good kings for their yeah, good respective kings. places. Uh, Ahasuerus and Nebuchadnezzar straddling the line and Belshazzar is uh that guy's a clown yeah there's just no yeah. there's no hope for him not a great king uh yeah so great question i like I, like evan said I'd, I'd never thought about in that respect before so i love that question uh question number two says this as i read things jeremiah didn't go into exile is that correct if so is there any historical or biblical evidence as to how he managed to stay and I, and I guess question three, because he has like three different questions here. Uh, what were the criteria for the, for who stayed and who went? So this one's kind of, it was actually really interesting to look into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, short answer, yes, you are correct. Jeremiah does not go into exile, or at least not to Babylon. Um, he doesn't go into exile. Right. So, I mean, Aaron, you're the one who's actually a little bit inside baseball right now. Aaron's been studying the book of Jeremiah outside of our uh, – Outside of our podcast. Just for me. Yeah, yeah. just for, you know, just personal edification. So as we've been going through Jeremiah, um, he's really been the one who's had a lot of insight onto it, which has been great. <laughs> and he also totally let me uh, fall and take the bullet for thinking we were wrapping up Jeremiah when we really weren't. So I really appreciate that one, man. I got so you, bro. Thank you for that. Um, well, technically, we were ahead of where I was at in reading the book of Jeremiah. So I didn't know until I think literally the week after, or the day after we did the podcast. I was like, oh, by you the way. You just wanted me to look bad. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. So why don't you explain a little bit of what 
what happens with Jeremiah, and then we'll talk about the other side of the question. Yeah, as well. it's um, we. I kind of touched on this a little bit in our in our last podcast. Um, as we we at that point had officially wrapped up. Uh, I think it was this last Sunday we had just wrapped up uh, the book of Jeremiah officially. Um, but here's the here's the crazy thing about Jeremiah. Um, something about Nebuchadnezzar, and this is why I think there is some some good in him is he he had a very deep reverence and respect for prophets. Uh, we see that with Daniel. We see that with um, uh, Jeremiah and how he interacted. And so when Babel or when, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took over uh, the kingdom of Israel and he did the bad things and destroyed people or whatever, and he exiled out. And this is a quick side note, like all the people he exiled out, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, like these were all some of the upper tiers. These are all some of the best people. Right. He only brought the best people to Babylon. Um and so what he ended up doing is he, Jeremiah at this point when Nebuchadnezzar came was still under, uh, in essence, kind of a house arrest kind of thing where he was relegated to the uh, the courtyard. He couldn't leave it. Um, he was still under uh, jurisdiction. He was still under arrest um, from from the king of, uh, of Israel or um, whatnot. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and saw Jeremiah and respected him he i mean his i think nebuchadnezzar's greatest fear if i remember reading uh about this right was that he didn't want to upset any of the gods right uh and so if there was a prophet of a god he had deep respect for because he's like i'm not going to touch the, the the anointed one um so he he told one of his big officials never zuridan however you say his name i couldn't i couldn't figure that one out um that he was now responsible for Jeremiah. So when when Nebuchadnezzar was leaving to go back to Babylon, uh, he gave Jeremiah an option. He's like, you can come with me and I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. You'll be safe and well, well you'll be well fed. I mean, you'll be well provided for. Uh, or you can stay with your people and go back to Gedaliah, who at that time was ruling uh, the kingdom of Israel. And Jeremiah decides and says, no, I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to stay with my people. He goes to his people. Uh, and then there's this, you know, great moment where Jeremiah has prophesied at that point, Hey, we need to stay here in Jerusalem. We'll be taken care of. We'll survive. God will protect us and provide for us. Um, and Gedaliah decided to, and we talked about this in a podcast a few weeks ago, in essence got killed because someone came in, uh, killed him and killed some other people and, and, and some of the Levites and just in essence scared the, the rest of, um, the remnant of of israelites were there sure and then they go to egypt and uh again this is what i just talked about but he went to egypt uh where he actually ended his he 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 died in egypt as, as far as we know so um but the reason why he was able to stay is because there was such a deep respect um and even reverence uh nebuchadnezzar had for the prophets of god uh any prophets of any god really but the prophets of the jewish god as well uh and so he he ended up staying and was provided for but then killed yeah. off by his own people which is kind of unfortunate. which as an interesting side note we were actually talking about this when we were prepping for the episode um it is interesting to me how daniel is conspicuously absent in the um the fiery uh, furnace the fiery furnace mm-hmm. and the story is you know shadrach meshach and abednego who we know are friends of daniel um but they are they're brought in daniel's not um it's pretty hard to think that daniel would have bowed down and worshiped the statue if you're yeah. reading the book i would say that it's almost certain he did not um and so normally the interpretation i've went with is that daniel was just not around uh he was somewhere else um but i also wonder if because of this whole interpretation in nebuchadnezzar recognizing that he is a prophet 
of God that he just kind of ignores it. Yeah, because Nebuchadnezzar's dream had already happened right. at that point. And Daniel was the one that interpreted the dream and was known to speak uh, on behalf of God. Yep. Um, so there is a, yeah, we see this, we see this throughout, I mean, the biblical history for sure. Right. Uh, but there is a deep respect. So, so it definitely is an interesting thought that. Spe- speculation. Yeah. Again, totally could not be true. No, um, it's absolutely but... <laughs> true because we're saying, it. no, I'm just kidding. So, interesting. Um, but so, so moving forward with that, so that is what happens specifically with Jeremiah. Uh, the second part of the question is what is the criteria for those who stayed and who went? Um, like Aaron said, we kind of get this hint in the book of Daniel that he's really taking um, young. The best of the best. Yeah. He's taking young, intelligent, attractive people. Yep. It's kind of what the what the deal is um and he, so he leaves behind the poor the poverty stricken and the the ones who can't really do anything yeah they're too weak they're too old they're too starved whatever he leaves them behind yeah and, and what i thought was which is a greater punishment than going to exile which there is you go from um, his perspective well, well yeah what i thought was interesting about because you know why why does this happen and when you look into like the roman empire in particular the roman empire is famous uh for pretty much allowing the people that they conquered to go about with what they were doing before. It's just saying, Hey, you're paying tribute now and you need to send soldiers when this comes up. But for the most part, they leave them alone. Um, and that kind of endears them a little bit to the captors where they're not as, uh, they're not as anxious to rebel because they're not being uh, as actively oppressed. Um, obviously there's exceptions to that. Um, what's interesting with this is that as I was looking into it, so th- this policy is put in place by King Tiglath Pileser, who I had not heard of really before this, um, but he was a king of Assyria. And so this is a, uh, this is a while before the Babylonian exile. And what he was noticing is that rebellions kept popping up in all the lands that he had conquered. And so what he did is he started, um, he started a policy where he would go into the nations that he conquered and he would deport you know, about half the people or whatever it is. And he would actually bring in people from other places of the empire and he would purposely intermingle them. And, and, the, and the reason for this would be um, to take away a sense of national identity from the people. And so now no longer, you know, I don't know what, like say the Hittites or whatever, right? So now there's no longer the nation of the Hittites mm-hmm. because they're all um, intermixed. They no longer have this strong idea, identity of we are this nation. Now it's just kind of like, well, we're just part of it now. Um, yeah. And what I thought was really interesting is the first country, as far as I can tell, that he does this with, as far as like before he conquers, he goes in with his plan. And then when he conquers, he does this, is the northern kingdom of Israel. So they are scattered. Um, some of them are taken away and then some other people are brought in. And that's actually the uh, the Samaritans. So the Samaritans are people. And the reason why the Jews hated them so much in the first century is because uh, they are – people of Jewish ancestry who intermixed with the people of the empire that were brought in, started worshiping other gods, all these different things. And they had kind of abandoned their identity as Israelites. They were half so, breeds. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a crude way of saying it, but yeah. Like well, but, and that's, but that's the that's biblical, that's the yeah. biblical perspective. Like yeah. that's a Jewish biblical perspective is literally that you're half breed. You're not really Jew. Right. So it's just kind of an interesting thought there. Um, but so, but that is why. So when he says the people are sent to exile, it's not that all of them were taken. The idea was um, you wanted to, spread them out so that there was no longer this idea of we are the nation of Israel. It's just kind of like, no, we're just part of the empire now. So that's why that was happening. People here in this empire. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So true. Uh, And just, yeah, I wasn't trying to be insensitive. I just like, that was just a statement that. Oh no, I I was saying like from a biblical perspective, that's, that's exactly how the Jews viewed Samaritans, which is why when Jesus interaction with Samaritans in John chapter four, it's, it's even throughout the gospels is such a, it's a challenging, challenging picture for anyone who is of Jewish descent. So anyways, question number three uh, says, hi, Evan. And again, thank you for including my name. I feel so (laughs) honored. Uh, 
Romans 8.17 describes us as, quote-unquote, co-heirs up with Christ. Can you explain the balance between where, what we inherit and the fact that despite being co-heirs with Jesus, we still worship him as our Lord and Savior? Uh, co-heir makes it sound like we are on equal footing with Jesus. Can we really make that claim? I thought you had a good statement about this. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I wrote is is it's pretty simple, um, but because of the work of Christ, we can share in what he deserves, relationship with God forever. Um, just because we get to share it does not make us equals. Um, and that's kind of as as uh, as simple as I can put it. When it yeah. says co-heirs, it's not saying that now we are both... You're on equal footing. Yeah, it's just saying like, this is what, um, this is part of the inheritance of, of Christ. And inheritance is kind of a weird word because he always has relationship with, with the father, but now we also get to share in that because of what, of what he has done. Yeah. And I think that there's an, uh, a piece of this where you got to realize and remember, uh, Jesus was fully man and fully God. So we don't share in his divinity. Um, we are created beings. Jesus is not a created being. Uh, he existed um, along with God at the very beginning. And so um, when he says co-heirs of Christ, it's talking about um, what rights and privileges we now have as children of God, as sons and daughters of, of you know, Christ and God. Um, and so he's talking about rights and privileges more. He's talking about position. Um, position is a different thing altogether. Um, and I think that that's an important distinguishment to make. So when he says co-heirs, it's talking about, again, and even as Evan said, like what we get to share, it's these rights and privileges that we now have, um, but it does not mean position. And I'm just as, I'm just as good as God and Jesus is. So um, yeah, good question. Uh, question number four, uh, when reading the end of Paul's letters, such as the first half of Romans 16, how should we parse? Uh, parse the greetings of various people. That's a weird word. I don't know what it means, Evan. Parse? Yeah, what does it mean? Like just view. Thank you. I'm not the smart guy here. So um, so how should we view the, the greetings to various people? What should we look for in the text? It can't just be to say hi to Bill because he's a really nice guy, quote unquote, kind of a sarcastic way to say. Uh, so in other words, how, how are we to view the greetings Paul makes in, all, in most of his letters? So, yeah, these are, I mean, it's funny because you kind of skip these. It's <laughs> like true. Oh, dude, I pass them. Even the uh, honestly, even the genealogies and the lineage. I'm like, I've read this. I'm done. Um, so what they show, I think, is a couple things that are important. Number one, um, that they aren't that the letters themselves are not simply works of theology. Um, and what I mean by that is, if you look at um, some of the issues, tread carefully, Evan. Tread carefully when you look at some of the issues that. Um, happen with heresy and happen with letters kind of popping up later that clearly aren't um, written by those people. Um, most of them do not take the time to fake like, oh, hey, and here's who's traveling with me. Say hi to so-and-so. He's the one who's going to be bringing you the letter. Um, and then when you get this letter, make sure that you send this off to so-and-so. You know what I mean? Like there's kind of like these, these weird details that when you look at the fake letters later on, they're not really concerned with. Um, and so they kind of help to show that the letters are genuine. Um and it also helps to show because I think we have this view of the Bible sometimes that like, um, like God just possessed Paul, and then Paul lost all of his personality and wrote down God's words exactly, and then like you know the Holy Spirit left and Paul's like, oh, what just happened? Oh, this letter, like you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's really not the the orthodox view of inspiration. Um, the idea is that the Holy Spirit is working through Paul to produce Scripture. Um, but the personality of Paul clearly still is in the letters, just like the personality of Peter and John and Jude and James and you know everyone else who writes yeah. the books of the Bible. Um, and so part of the deal is like it helps to show like this is what these letters are about. And it also helps us to see 
um, who's where, when. Oh yeah. So for like, sure. which, you know, cause we have like Timothy, Titus, Luke, they're all mentioned. And so when they stop being mentioned, that's when we kind of get the idea. Oh, this must have been when Titus went to pastor um, mm-hmm. Crete, I think it was, or this must've been when Timothy left for Ephesus. This must've been when yeah. Luke left to begin writing. Yeah, it the helps Gospels. the timeline yeah, for sure. It helps us to see where everything's at. Um, so it's really and helpful. It, it actually even keeps the, the continuity of scripture together too. Yeah. When you see that you're able to like, you're, Oh, this is much, it's, it's a much bigger conversation too. So, um, and the interesting thing too, I, I, I've heard a lot of talk about, um, people that Paul, especially Paul recognizes in his letters and how some of them are female and some of them are male and, uh, the validation it brings to equality. And, and I, I want to, I want to be careful not to read too much into, uh, this is going to sound really bad. I'm going to get there. Hang on. Don't, don't just sound bite me. Um, <laughs> But to read so much into like, oh, Paul was all about equal I don't think it was ever an issue for Paul. And I would argue as Christians, I think we got to be very careful where we make a stance, a certain thing, like there's no favoritism. So for me, I don't, I don't view, and, and this may be a little arrogant, I don't view uh, other, some people as lesser than me um, because for whatever reason. Um, but I think it, it just does address and helps us understand like Paul, Paul understands like, People are God's people. They're created in his right. image. And uh, I think it allows us to see kind of an authenticity and a genuine interaction and how we as Christians and followers of Christ should really view people. Um, and and not to get political and not to get you know, like soapboxy, but how quickly we are to judge and cast judgment based upon gender, based upon race, based upon different things. And, and in these moments that Paul's highlighting people, it's just a recognition of these are God's people who are co-laborers and partners with me in the great commission. Right. Um, and, and so be, we got to be careful how, how much we, we take and platform to, to make it a mantra or something we, when really it's, it's a personal piece. It's, um, it's, a, it's a relational piece and it does show the continuity of scripture. It does show that it's, it's one message among, uh, among many different authors. Um, and, and again, the Bible is not, the foundation for Christianity, Christ is. And so we have to remember what Christ says and Christ the value or values and affirms the scripture too. So um, it's just, it definitely is kind of one of those things like it's not, we don't have to read so deeply into these recognitions as much as we need to understand like the heart behind what Paul's doing. So, yeah. I mean, all scripture is uh, God, God breathes. breathes. I think um, it's in the Bible somewhere. Yeah. It's, you know, it's in second Timothy three sixteen. But uh, I do think it's important to say like, you know, like I, I would say these aren't necessarily the verses I would look to, to like, get our theology from necessarily, absolutely. but they are absolutely valuable for what we said before yeah. as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the final question this week, um, total, total uh, transparent. I've not seen Pulp Fiction. So, Neither uh, but it says this Pulp Fiction quotes Ezekiel twenty five seventeen rather inappropriately. Uh, what is in your opinion, the most misused verse in the Bible and why? If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure it's Sam Jackson, like is about to kill someone and he quotes the verse. So, Oh, is that I it? I don't remember. I, that's. I mean, he says something about "I am the Lord." So I, I totally like dropped the ball on reading up on the what the verse was. That, <laughs> that would probably help me a little bit. But. Yeah, but hey, no worries. All right, so the, but the question is pretty simple. It's uh, what is the most misused verse in the Bible and why? Um, I mean, there's there's really a bunch I think that kind of come to mind. Um, there's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is like kind of a, a really good feel good verse, but yeah. like we always forget like this is like being said to them like. In the middle of exile? Yeah, right before they're going to go Which, into... But it makes that verse for me even more powerful. Like, yeah, I agree. Anyways, so it's just kind of used as like... Context, a, context. It's, yeah. a, it's a graduation verse. There's a Habakkuk verse that is... Uh, um, 
for I'm doing something, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's like for I am doing something, uh, working something in your midst that you would not believe if I told you. Um, I've seen that one before, and it's like definitely the Babylonians being raised up to destroy Judah. So there's stuff like that. Um, the one that I remember that I always think is really funny is I was at a uh, like kind of a vision casting event for a Christian ministry. Um, I told Aaron the story awesome. before. This, is, this so, is going somewhere, people. Uh, the speaker's getting up and he's talking about like, hey, you know, like as part of this team, like one of the things that we want to uh, we want to make sure that we're um, pushing is is unity. Like we shouldn't be divided, we shouldn't be in fighting, but we should be unified um, to move the kingdom of God forward. Which is a great message, like absolutely important. But but the verse he picked was, uh, um, it says, and the Lord said, behold, they were one people and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And he's talking. That sounds like such a great inspirational verse. I want to put that on the wall. And these people were unified and they accomplished things. And God looks at them and he says, there's nothing they cannot do. And I was sitting there and I was like, I was thinking, I was like, where have I heard this verse before? And so it's like flipping through my Bible and it's totally the Tower of Babel. When Where God like, divides humanity and so, yeah, into the, different languages. The next verse is like him, is God saying like, well, this so obviously funny. isn't a good deal. And so it's just interesting. Like I said, the basic point uh, that the speaker was making was correct and that we should be unified. Um, you know, we shouldn't be fighting with each other, but you know, uh, maybe next time just pick a better verse. I well, I can think of one in, in Acts was like, they were in one heart, one accord and one mind. And that was where the church was birthed. Like, boom. anyways, but so there you go. That was, that I'm, was my, I'm just, I'm just a, just a young buck. So, um, yeah, that's, that's crazy funny, but it's interesting how easy it is. We can take I mean, it almost feels like we Google scripture, right? Like, hey, I need a verse about vision. Unity. I need a verse, a verse about healing. I need a verse. And we we remove scripture from its context. Uh, so the verse that I thought of, uh, I don't know, again, the question is what is the most misused verse in the Bible? Um, I'm totally the guy that dwells on technicalities. So I don't know if this is the most misused, but I do think it is a common uh, verse that we use and misquote and therefore misunderstand. Um but it says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Uh, and the thing that I, I that have heard often and that even myself have believed at one point in my life until I had to kind of wrestle with this was that I would say, God's not going to give me anything I can't handle. And this would become the mantra. And I've heard it all the time that God won't give you more than you can't handle. And, and honestly, that's not true. I think God gives us things that we can't handle right. because he desires us to, to, to lean into him, to trust in him, to, to always run to him in the midst of everything. Um, and so this verse, like he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. We stop there and we, we correlate it to any, whatever God wants to give me. This is tempting. I, whatever I, God won't give me more than I can handle. That's not true at all. Because you're going to be tempted in ways that you are going to struggle. But we have to remember as we continue to, rem- to turn to, to Jesus, that was a weird way to say it, as we continue to turn back to Christ, um, that the, the t- temptation will have an escape plan. Right. Why would there need to be an escape plan if you wouldn't, if, if you could handle it? You can't handle it. That's the problem with humanity. We're broken. Um, and I could go on for days with this, but I think it's important just to remember uh, life is going to happen. And we're not going to be able to be able to control or handle the situation, which is why we need a savior because we're broken and sinful people. Um, and so I often have heard this verse, not necessarily misquoted, um, but misunderstood. And then 
been misappropriated where it says, ah, I, I, I can do this. No, you can't. Like, no, you can't. We cannot do and live this life that God has called us to. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who both works in you to will and desire to do what pleases him. Yeah, the, it's God who does it, not me. The mature Christian isn't someone who needs God less. It's someone who understands their how much for they God need God more. more. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, that's a great one. And I would just yeah. encourage, um, we're going to wrap it up here, but... Um, I would encourage everyone, like just with these verses, things, and, and you know they're kind of funny for the most part. Um, but it, it is it is important, and what it does show us is that um, we should always be very careful with how we read the Bible, and always just look at the context. And like yeah. one of the, um, me and Aaron's life is a little bit different, probably because we have to actually prepare messages uh, once in a while. So, um, like one of my big things is if I'm looking for like if I have a topic and I'm looking through like verses of like okay like well what applies to this topic if I'm clicking on one I'm never reading the one verse I'm always like give, context yeah give me the chapter like give me the five verses before and the five verses after and so let me read. know what book it is and what's right what the author is actually writing in the midst of like there's a lot to it um, but most most study Bibles give that to you now yeah that's also so true just make sure to spend time to not just take a verse so you can send it to someone but like really understand like. God's word is filled with promises and it's so important for us to remember these promises. And it also reminds us that we need to memorize scripture and not just take them at paraphrases. Right. So anyways. Uh, Well, with that being said, we're just going to go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah. Don't forget uh, we're a podcast of the Grove Church, uh, but not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our resources on the website at grove.church. We would love for you to take a moment and leave a review. Give us a five star. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, Not because we care about our own egos. It does make us feel better, uh, but we care about continuing to get uh, what we're talking about and the conversations we're having to the world around us. And so the more five-star reviews we get, the more people it reaches. So we'd love for you to do that.